Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning for Every Day is Earth Day this morning. I have Julie Westerlin. She is the coordinator for One Watershed, One Plan. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, you are up in St. Paul. You are the head of this program called One Watershed, One Plan. And it's a relatively newer program from the Board of Water and Soil Resources. And I want you to just describe what is exactly this One Watershed, One Plan all about? Well, One Watershed, One Plan is a program from the Board of Water and Soil Resources. And and I'm going to back up a little bit. We're a government agency that works with local governments like counties, soil and water conservation districts, and watershed districts. And we provide a lot of state funding so that local governments can work with individual property owners and with their natural resources and really do improvements and protection of our natural resources. So we provide a lot of state funding and oversight for local governments. And One Watershed, One Plan is really about developing water plans in a way that recognizes the flow of water. So a watershed is an area of land that drains to a common body of water. In the past, we used to write water plans based on a county boundary. And now what we're doing is saying, we're going to write those plans according to how the water flows, not according to some arbitrary line that, you know, really doesn't pay any attention to the flow of water. So what we're doing is we're getting communities together around water resources and asking them to identify what are the most important issues for their natural resources in their community and what do they want to do to improve and protect those water resources and other natural resources like habitat. So, Julie, the way it was really done in the past was a competitive process. So if you're from Blue Earth County or LeSueur County or whichever county in Minnesota, you'd say, well, we want this money in our county to fix or do such and such without regard for the entire watershed, which is impacted across all counties, really. That's right. And as a matter of fact, we do still offer competitive grants. But in order for a competitive grant to be funded, you had to have that grant as a priority in your local water plan. And what we've said now is, hey, folks, get together and decide what your priorities are across the watershed. And then the Board of Water and Soil Resources can provide funding to implement that plan over the long term. So we've worked with the Clean Water Council and the legislature to make sure that there's clean water fund dollars available to implement these plans and that folks don't have to spend a lot of time in that competitive process anymore. So was One Watershed, One Plan a result of the legislature? Actually, One Watershed, One Plan came out of an idea from local governments themselves. So they recognized that we had a lot, we were getting a lot more really good data and information about our watersheds because we had an influx of dollars available to do water quality monitoring and develop other science around watersheds and folks recognized that that science was going to help us do a much better job with identifying what the issues are and figuring out what's the best way to fix those issues. And so the local governments themselves had this idea of let's get together on a watershed basis 
and not have necessarily separate plans from the county and the soil and water and the watershed district. Let's all get together and have the same plan for working off of a shared set of goals. So those ideas started coming up uh, almost 15 years ago now, and the legislature made some changes that allowed the Board of Water and Soil Resources to create this program that changes how we do water planning and water management in Minnesota. You know, I think in the past on when we were voting, you'd always vote for somebody for the soil and water board or something. And you probably just didn't really know what it was. Has that role Mm -hmm. become a lot more important now with the way changes are with how we're trying to protect our resources? That is a really great question. And, And the answer is yes, it has become more important. The soil and water conservation districts really are such a key part of our local conservation delivery system in Minnesota. We have a lot of funding available. Um, There's never enough funding to solve all of the problems. So at the local level, we need to make hard decisions about the things that we're going to spend those dollars on. And the local officials, the folks that are elected to sit on those soil and water boards, really do become an important part of this process. So during the planning process, they're sitting down with soil and water representatives from other counties that are next door and share land in the same watershed. And they're also sitting down with folks from counties. And if there's a watershed district, which is another kind of governmental unit present, they would be at the table as well. And sometimes we're also seeing cities and even tribal governments participating in this process. So everybody is getting together, and and the local officials are the ones that are really responsible for setting the priorities for which issues are going to get the most attention and which water resources are going to be the focus of implementing that plan. Because, like I said before, we, we don't have enough resources to solve all of the issues right away. You have to kind of pick and choose what you're going to work on first and try to make some progress. And so those are some of the decisions that get made in that planning effort and where those local officials really come into play and are important in the process. When I look at the state of Minnesota, when I think watersheds, I think, well, there's the Mississippi, there's the Minnesota, and some of the bigger Mm -hmm. water areas that I assume go throughout the state. So when you say one watershed, is that why you call it one watershed? Because somehow it's all connected? Um, You know, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Our water is all connected, and, and I like to think of those connections, especially between the surface water and the groundwater. It really is all one water system. And then, of course, you think about the whole water cycle and the evaporation and the, the precipitation and the runoff and the infiltration, you know, all of those places that water goes. The concept of one watershed, one plan was really to say, we're going to have one plan for each of the state's. 60 or so watersheds. And like you said, we have kind of our major river systems. Mm -hmm. And so we can think about watersheds at different scales. We could think of the watershed of the Minnesota River, which basically is like the southern third of, of the state, right? But then within that, we can divide that up into smaller units of tributaries that drain into the Minnesota River. And we do that across the state. And there's tributaries to the Red River and the Mississippi River and even up in Lake Superior and the Rainy River Basin. And so within each of those, we've subdivided the land so that it we we have 
roughly equivalent sizes of land areas that are draining to these common bodies of water that become the basis for those plans. And what we're saying is that local governments are going to share one plan instead of having multiple plans for the same area. But another important point to remember about watersheds is that no, no matter where you are, you are always in a watershed. <laughs> it's, it's just this concept of land draining to water. And so what we do on the land really predicts the health of our water resources, whether we can swim in them or catch fish or drink the water, depends on how we're treating the land. Now, you mentioned 60 watersheds, because I was thinking there are 87 counties, and we don't go by counties anymore, mm-hmm. but now we're talking 60 watersheds. How do you draw boundaries between a watershed? What does that look like? So the boundaries really are the high points on the land. I mean, if you zoom way out and look at the, the continent, you can think of, you know, everybody's heard of the continental divide, the, where the Rocky Mountains are, right? And so everything... All the rain that falls to the west of the Continental Divide flows to the Pacific Ocean and everything to the east flows to the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico, right? So we just keep looking at those high points on the land and they define how the water flows and which bodies of water they drain to. So we actually have maps that we use to identify where those high points on the land are. And we've got these watershed boundaries that are drawn and they get defined by the topography of the landscape. And then the partnerships that come out of those get defined by the folks that are in those local governments that are in land that drain to those common bodies of water. Julie, I happen to be on a committee that's the Water Quality Committee for the Lake Washington Improvement Association. Of course, that organization specifically concerned about the, the water quality in Lake Washington, you know, and then Madison Lake's got one, which are some of our larger lakes down here in southern Minnesota. Are those the sorts of organizations that you work with and the county people I know we have involved on some of our planning as well? Is that how it works, just all these people getting together and, and deciding the priorities? Because part of what we've done is have engineers come in and they, they look at the, the drainage patterns and things like that and where will we get the most bang for our buck to try to clean up the water? That is exactly what's going on. And so we often have lake association folks that sit on the advisory committees for these planning efforts. We do make a distinction between folks that are advisory to the process and the policy committee folks that actually are making the final decisions. And those policy committees are the ones that come from the local governments, which eventually will adopt that plan and who are going to be the recipients of the funding for implementing that plan. And oftentimes they will partner with local lake associations and other groups. Maybe there's egg producer groups or there's recreational folks with recreational interests. Maybe it's an angling group or a a hunting group that is interested in the habitat. There are any number of voices that might come into this process. And so the folks from the popular lakes in the area are always going to get invited. Well, I shouldn't say they're always going to get invited. They are very likely to be involved in the process because they're the ones that know that lake the best. They understand what the issues are there and they have, you know, they have a stake in in making sure that the lake they care about becomes a priority in the process and they can influence that process by talking to their local officials. Either the the county commissioners or the Soil and Water Conservation District board managers. 
Now, as we look across the state, north and south, you know, you go up to northern lakes and they're crisp and clear. You come down to southern Minnesota, they're Mm -hmm. full of blooming algae and things like that. So is Mm -hmm. there an area of priority? Do you look at how polluted things are or how do you assess what is a priority? Well, that really becomes a local decision. So as I said before, we actually are very fortunate in Minnesota to have a lot of great information about our water resources. The state agencies and local governments have done a lot of monitoring, water quality monitoring and other kinds of data collection over the years that tell us about the health of our water resources. And so when we start looking at at that information for each of the 60 watersheds, that becomes a local decision of what are the water quality trends that we're seeing, what concerns might we have, where are things improving or declining, where are things maybe at risk or need to be protected, and then, you know, which of those do we want to work on first, and how much progress do we think we can make with the investments that we think we're going to be able to do and the projects that we're going to be able to do. So those are really all local discussions, and the state's role is to support planning in all areas of the state and provide funding for each of those plans that have set those local priorities within that individual watershed. Julie, what are some of the biggest concerns that you see throughout the state, different groups, different watersheds? Is there anything that comes up over and over as a concern? In terms of the issues that are coming up in these plans, as I said, it's surface water quality shows up in just about every plan and and just about every plan has something about groundwater as well, whether it's the quality of drinking water or the availability of drinking water. Other issues that are coming up specifically are quality of lakes, wetlands, things like erosion and sediment, and things like even um, the quality of life comes up in some of these plans and the idea of stewardship of the land. Flooding can be an issue in some areas, and sometimes they're identifying problems like bacterial impairments or other specific sources of pollution or erosion and sedimentation. So those are the kinds of things that are coming up in plans. So when the priorities are identified, how are they funded then? Do they, do the watershed folks say, hey, this is a big priority, so we need funding for this? And then do they, is it a process they apply for a grant or how does that work? So in terms of funding, we have the good fortune in Minnesota to have the Clean Water Land and Legacy Amendment. And so a big chunk of funding comes from the Clean Water Fund, and actually the Clean Water Fund is paying for to support the development of the plans themselves and then for these non-competitive grants that, imp- that help implement the plans. So the Clean Water Fund is really primarily geared for water quality issues, and there may be a lot of other issues, as I just said, that the plan identifies. So there are lots of sources of funding out there for folks to tap into and they may not all be state funding sources they could be local they could be public-private partnerships there's quite a bit of federal money that comes through the natural resources conservation service as well so the clean water fund isn't the only place that the money is coming through but it can be a significant source of funds that groups know that they're going to be able to anticipate getting every couple of years a grant of a set funding amount where they know what that that dollar amount is and they can kind of plan on that money coming in rather than having to submit that competitive application 
and then you know wait to see if it gets funded and because that's a that's a really burdensome process for everybody involved we still do offer some competitive grants but we're putting more of the funding from the state into this non-competitive grants so that each watershed plan has some support for implementation but it isn't the only source of funding so is your role then julie as the coordinator for one watershed one plan to work with all of the watershed entities and say, here's where we have the money, these are the projects we're looking at, or how does it all come together to be that one plan? Well, again, that's a really local conversation. And interestingly, as the program coordinator, I don't end up sitting in a lot of those local conversations because there's so many of them. I can't possibly be at all of them. I have colleagues across the state who also work for the Board of Water and Soil Resources that sit in on each and every one of those planning meetings and really support the local governments in their decision-making about what's going to go into that plan. So the planning really happens through the participation of the, the folks at the local level, both the elected officials and the staff who work for the soil and water and the, the counties, watershed districts, other folks that might be participating in the process. Those people are doing a lot of really heavy lifting in the planning process. And then they're identifying through the plan what kinds of projects they want to implement. And so they'll put together a work plan that specifies the things that are in the plan that they want to do with a particular grant. And they submit that to us and we review it and approve it. And then the funding goes out to them and they get to spend it. So who essentially drives the bus, so to speak, of making the things happen? Is it the soil and water resource person in each area, or who brings it forth? It really depends on the local area. Oftentimes it will be a staff person from SWCD or a county mm-hmm. and, or a watershed district, and they will call up the folks in the neighboring counties and uh, SWCDs in that same watershed, and they'll say, hey, you know, do you guys want to get together and propose writing a plan? And so they'll kind of work at the staff level and then they'll bring it up to their respective county boards and SWCD boards and watershed district boards and get the approval from their elected officials to move forward. And then a policy committee gets appointed, you know, that includes one representative from each of the local governments involved and and they become the decision makers. But it really is a locally driven process We're there to support them through some financial means as well as we have a policy for the program that just says, you know, what needs to be in these plans in order for it to get approved because the plans ultimately are reviewed by the Board of Water and Soil Resources where I work and then our board will approve that plan and then that means it's available and eligible for state funding. Do you have a way of measuring how the program has been working since it started in terms of water quality or I don't know what other measurements you might use, but has there been a way to look yeah, and say? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. On the one hand, you know, water quality, it takes a long time to yes. see changes. We've, we've spent a lot of time changing the land and that has resulted in some changes to our water and, and to fix some of those issues is going to take a long time. We have had instances where we've seen groups that have really focused their energy and effort on a particular body of water, the the small watershed that drains to that 
you know, lake or stream, whatever it is, and, and they've been able to see a measurable water quality improvement and sometimes even, you know, getting it to the point where it complies with our our government standards for how clean the water should be, you know, which are, are based on whether we can use that water for swimming or fishing or drinking. And so we, we have seen cases where we've been able to make that measurable improvement in a pretty rapid period of time. And that's part of the key to this process is identifying those places where we want to be able to see those improvements the, the soonest. The other measure that we use really is the degree to which we have people working together now and the partnerships that have been formed and the number of plans that have been approved and the overall level of participation in the program, which is very high. You know, we've also gotten feedback that people really appreciate the opportunity to make the partnerships and the relationships that are formed in the process of developing one of these watershed plans. Prior to this, you know, plans were just based on county boundaries. So there really wasn't the same number of opportunities to reach across county lines. I mean, certainly those were there in some places where we've had longstanding watershed groups, but that's not the case everywhere. And so a lot of folks have really recognize the value of getting together with their upstream and downstream neighbors and saying, hey, you're upstream and you're doing something that's affecting me or or I'm upstream of you and, you know, how can I do a better job on my land so that your water downstream isn't impacted because that's really how it works. And the value of the program really has been in establishing those connections and the partnerships and then getting people to work together and share their expertise and their resources across county lines. And we're seeing that happen quite a bit where one office of a soil and water might have a person with a particular skill set that their neighboring office doesn't have. And so they'll cross over the boundary of the border and they'll go and and maybe help out a property owner in an an adjacent county because they've got that skill set and it's benefiting their watershed. When we call it one watershed, one plan, this plan must be in continuous development, isn't it? I mean, it's a not a stagnant plan, I assume. Oh, you know, that's an interesting question, too. The plans do get approved, and they're approved for a period of time, usually 10 years. And the expectation is that as groups get to about the midpoint of implementing that 10-year plan, they'll they'll take some time to reflect on the progress that they've made so far and determine if they need to make any mid-course corrections and, you know, maybe recalibrate their goals or have a better understanding of how far they can get with their implementation work as they've described it in their 10-year plan. And as they get towards the end of that 10-year lifespan of the plan, they'll do another look at the available information. If new information has become available, they'll take another look at the priorities that were set 10 years prior and say, are these still our same priorities? Do we have new issues, new things we want to work on? And they'll incorporate those into an updated plan. What is the biggest threat to our watersheds? Oh, boy. You know, I think it really is a a combination of of changes to the land and changes in the climate. And the loss, in particular, of places where water gets stored on the land, whether that be in wetlands or in the soil, the the loss of soil health is really a problem. And so, you know, just allowing water to stay where it lands and soak into the ground, 
versus running off and carrying pollution with it downstream and, and causing damage downstream to water resources. You know, that's, that's really the biggest problem, and that manifests itself in a number of ways, either through, you know, how we're using the land with whether it be urban development and paving over landscapes or changing the vegetation on the land, removing native vegetation and, you know, for crops. These changes to the land really impact the water resources, and then the, the climate changes are causing bigger rain events that increase the amount of runoff and sediment, and those in particular are problematic for our streams because there's, we've lost so much storage on the landscape and in the soil. That water is running off at a much higher rate than it did before, and we've got more water because as the climate gets warmer, the air can hold more water vapor and the storms get bigger. So we're seeing bigger storm events happen with increasing frequency at times of the year as well when there isn't enough cover on the land to protect it from that erosion. So I think those are, those are the biggest threats is how we've changed the landscape. That's something that we as individuals can do something about the climate change one is a little bit tougher and we may have to adapt and think about things that we can do to make our, our landscapes and our watersheds more resilient. That's my last question I wanted to ask you was about what can people as individuals do? There's mm-hmm. people on these committees, like I'm on the Water Quality Committee. Are there other things we can do as individuals or maybe join some group or learn more online or, or what? Well, I think the first thing that we can all do is, you know, look literally in our own backyards or front yards at how we're treating the land. So what kind of vegetation do we have? Is there some place we can plant native vegetation that's going to allow that water, help that water soak into the ground as it should? Are there things that we can do to minimize the amount of pollution that's going downstream right on our own landscapes? Then it becomes things that look a little bit bigger picture in terms of joining a group, learning more about our water resources, exerting, you know, making your voice heard. And what we're seeing is that these local conversations, they're happening at at the most local political levels from, from the counties and the SWCDs. Sometimes we're even seeing cities and townships participating in these efforts. So, talking to your your very most local officials about your concerns about water resources really can be effective, an effective way to, to participate in the process of making things better. Where can we find out information about One Watershed, One Plan? You can find out more. It's bwsr.state.mn.us slash one-watershed-one-plan. Or they could just Google One Watershed, One Plan, Minnesota. They Google One Watershed, One Plan, it'll come right up. Wonderful. And if you go to the website, there's actually a portion of the website that has, you look on the left side menus and scroll down to One Watershed, One Plan videos. There's about 30 minutes worth of material there in five different videos that describe what the program is, how it came to be, how it works, and sort of the, the theory of, the, the big ideas associated with the program. I want to thank you, Julie Westerlin, who is the One Watershed, One Plan coordinator. Thank you for your time and helping us understand this One Watershed, One Plan better. 
Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.